0: Peace be with you, and welcome to The Word Unveiled. This program is from the series American Saints, Blesseds, Venerables, and Servants, and the focus is on Elizabeth Ann Seton. As in all things, let us begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. We must pray without ceasing. In every occurrence and employment of our lives, that prayer which is rather a habit of lifting up the heart to God as in a constant communication with him. Name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. And that prayer was composed by Mother Seaton herself. So the question we have before us is, why would a wealthy Episcopalian woman from colonial New York become a foundress of Catholic schools in America? Well, let's look at her early years. Elizabeth Ann Bailey was born into a wealthy Episcopalian family in New York City on August 28, 1774. New York was a British colony at that time. Her father, Richard Bailey, was born in 1745 in Connecticut in the village of Fairfield. And he was descended from a family of French Huguenots and English Protestants. Huguenots were like Calvinists. In 1766, he was apprenticed to the New York City physician, John Carlton. And Bailey married Carlton's sister, Catherine, at St. John's Episcopal Church in Elizabeth, New Jersey in 1767. Richard and Catherine had three children, Mary Magdalene, born in 1768, Elizabeth Ann, born in 1774, and Catherine, born in 1776. In 1775, Richard Bailey traveled to London to study anatomy, but he soon returned to New York with the outbreak of the war. The war, of course, was the American Revolution. And he was a staunch loyalist. He was loyal to to England, and he enlisted in the British Army, and he served as a surgeon uh, for those troops. But his wife Catherine became very ill in 1777, and he returned home. He dropped out of participation in the conflict and, and came home to take care of his wife and family. And unfortunately, his wife Catherine died in May of 1777 when Elizabeth was only three years old. Her younger sister, Catherine, would die one year later. So Elizabeth Ann would, in the course of her life, become a mother, seek out the mother, and become the mother to hundreds. I looked at the clouds while my little sister lay in her coffin. They asked me, did I not cry? No, because she has gone up to heaven. I wish I could go too with Mama. This was Elizabeth Ann Seton at age three. She spoke these words. In her early years, her father was appointed as one of the first uh, public health officials in New York following the War of Independence. So fortunately, his time of aiding the British did not work against him. And he amassed fame and a considerable fortune. Elizabeth Ann Bailey grew into a beauty in the New York high society. Hers was a luxurious life by the standards of the time. She was described as being beautiful and vivacious, She was an accomplished musician, she was fluent in French, she was popular at parties and balls, and she was faithful to her night prayers, but sometimes distracted by the social life and its concerns. A man named William McGee Seaton was attracted to her, this vivacious beauty, and she was likewise infatuated with him, and they married on January twenty-fourth, 1794. William was 25 years old, and Elizabeth was 19. Samuel Provo, who was the first Episcopal bishop of New York, presided at their wedding. Now, William's father, William Seton Sr., was a wealthy businessman in the import trade. And he was a loyalist, just like Elizabeth's father had been. And the senior William Seton brought his sons, William, that is, Elizabeth's new husband, and his other son, James, into his import-export mercantile firm. And it was called the William Seton Company, but later became known as Seaton Maitland, and Company, and that was in 1793. As part of his responsibilities in this company, William, Elizabeth's husband, had, had visited Filippo Felici, who was a renowned, renowned merchant in Livarno, Italy, with whom his firm traded. And this friendship would later be crucial to the survival of Elizabeth. William and Elizabeth prospered between 1794 and 1800, and they had five children in these few short years. Anna Maria, William, Richard, Catherine, and Rebecca. And they were wealthy, so they were able to have a family portrait commissioned. And you're looking at it here. You see William, the father in the top hat, standing next to his horse. You see Elizabeth, the mother, to the right. And you see their five children are all arrayed amongst them, including, looks like, three pet dogs. So William was in business with his father, but then all of a sudden his father died, and the business began to falter. So obviously the father was the real uh, brains behind the business, you might say. And then there was a terrible event happened. It was the undeclared war between France and the fledgling United States. This happened in the 1790s. And what happened was that French ships inexplicably began to and board American ships on the high seas and to basically rob them uh, it was like acts of piracy there was a feeling that the Americans uh, should come to the French in, in, uh, and aid them because France was going through a revolution and the French had aided the Americans in their revolution uh, but that was not to be so there was this trouble going on in the high seas And along with that, France and Britain were at war again, and so the British were blockading some French ports. So if you're in the import-export business and you've got ships on the high seas, this is a very uh, uh, sketchy time for you. So when his father, when William's father died, the couple took in, had to take in, William's six younger siblings. So he had brothers and sisters that were still living with his father from ages seven to 17, so these six joined them in their family and added to their five children. So, so William and Elizabeth now had 11 children to care for. So they had to move to a larger house, and they moved into 61 Stone Street in Lower Manhattan. But Elizabeth had faith in God that, she, that God would help them survive, and she imparted this to her husband and her family. In 1800, however, the business went into bankruptcy, and William's health declined even further. And then he was diagnosed with tuberculosis. Troubles always create a great exertion on my mind and give it a force to which at other times it is incapable. I think the greatest happiness of this life is to be released from the cares of what is called the world. I say amen to that. That was uh, from Elizabeth Ann Seton herself. And now there are further clouds on the horizon. After the failure of the business, the Setons lost their house in Manhattan, so Elizabeth had to take her children and her husband and move in with her father, who was at that time, that time was the prominent physician but a widower in New York City. And a short time after that, however, her father died from yellow fever that he had contracted from treating his patients. And William, her husband's health, also continued to decline, and he was advised to take an ocean voyage as a treatment. He decided to go to Italy and visit his friends, the Felicis. So, William and Elizabeth took their oldest daughter, Anna, with them on this trip. The other children stayed with relatives. And when they arrived at Livorno, Italy, they were forced to go into quarantine because of the yellow fever epidemic that was rampant in New York City. And they knew about that in Italy. So, they could not enter the country without going into quarantine. And so, they were taken to an abandoned prison and they were given crude quarters in a former detention cell where the three of them had to remain for 40 days. Well, William's health did not improve, and Elizabeth was fearful for the outcome. And finally, they were released from quarantine on December 19, 1803. But William died only eight days later, on December 27th. He was only 34 years old. He was buried in the Old English Cemetery in Livorno, And Elizabeth and her daughter, Anna Maria, were received by his husband's old business partners, the Felici family. The Felici's graciously met all of Elizabeth's and Anna's needs. Elizabeth, while she was living with the Felici's, was introduced to Catholicism, and she began to study with great interest. One thing that caught her attention was the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, and she And this entered her heart, and she began to feel very compelled to know more about this. In June of 1804, the Felicis helped Elizabeth and her daughter to return to New York. They funded the trip. They gave them everything. Family and friends helped her in New York secure a little house in which she was reunited with all of her children. To support her family, Elizabeth then opened a school for girls out of her home which was common for ladies of education and refinement. But her interest in the Catholic faith kept her searching and studying. And on March 14, 1805, just about two years after she first learned about the real presence, Elizabeth Ann Seton entered the Catholic Church in New York City. She received the Eucharist for the first time at St. Peter's Church, which at that time was the only Catholic church in New York. Anti-Catholic laws had only been lifted a few years previously. And while in our United States Constitution, freedom of religion is granted, freedom of religion was not granted in the colonies, and many of the colonies had anti-Catholic laws on their books, including New York. In 1806, she was confirmed by Bishop John Carroll in Baltimore. He was the only Catholic bishop in the entire United States at that time. I will go peacefully and firmly to the Catholic Church, for if faith is so important to our salvation, I will seek it where true faith first began. Seek it among those who received it from God himself. So now she begins a new life. Elizabeth opened a boarding school for boys in order to make ends meet and provide for her children. And then her sister-in-law, Cecilia Seton, also became a Catholic, and friends and family withdrew their support for Elizabeth Ann Seton, and students were removed from her schools. So publicly becoming a Catholic worked to her detriment in a business standpoint because other people took their kids out of her school. They didn't want their, their children to be educated by a Catholic. So she consulted Father Louis William Valentine de Bourg. He was a member of the French immigrant com- community or émigré community of Salpician Sil- Fathers, And he was then the president of St. Mary's College in Baltimore. The Sulpicians had come to the United States to escape religious persecution of the reign of terror in France. And that was the French Revolution with the guillotine and all the the massacres. And the church was uh, greatly persecuted at that time. So these Sulpician uh, fathers and, and religious sisters came to the United States. And they were in the process of establishing a seminary, and they wanted to open schools for Catholic children. So after living through many difficulties in life, in 1809, Elizabeth Ann Seaton accepted the Sulpician's invitation and she moved to Emmitsburg, Maryland. And she was given some property in Emmitsburg. And in June, she and her three three daughters, her sister-in-law, Cecilia, and Harriet Seaton, another sister-in-law who became Catholic, and four young women who had joined them began what was to become the American Foundation of the Sisters of Charity. In 1811, Mother Seton adopted the rules and constitution of St. Vincent de Paul with some modifications and the institution, having received the sanction of the highest ecclesiastical authority, became a religious order. Now, her mission was underway. For special occasions, they wore black dresses with shoulder capes and a simple bonnet tied under the chin. This is what Elizabeth had worn for a year after her, after her husband had died into her morning dress. And then a group of buildings, uh, embracing a residence for the sisters, a novitiate, a school for poor children, and an orphan asylum was all erected on the site of land that they were given in Emmitsburg. And soon thereafter, she established the St. Joseph's Academy and Free School, a school dedicated to Catholic girls' education. Mother Seton held the office of Mother Superior for the duration of her life, although the rule called for a new mother superior to be elected every two years. Elizabeth Ann Seton had truly become the beloved mother of this family. God has given me a great deal to do, and I have always and hope always to prefer his will to every wish of my own. Mother Seton's beloved daughter, Anna Maria, who had accompanied them on the trip to Italy and returned and and now, came with her uh, to Maryland to enter the religious life, passed away from tuberculosis in 1812. And in 1816, grief struck again when her other daughter, Rebecca, also died from tuberculosis. But the convent continued to detract young women, and the religious order continued to grow. Despite her many commitments and grueling schedule, Mother Seton continued working at a furious pace, furious pace. But she herself was weak and increasingly prone to poor health. She spent the last years of her life directing St. Joseph's Academy and her growing community in Emmitsburg. In December 1820, she began to succumb to the family scourge, tuberculosis. She died on January 4, 1821, at only 46 years of age. At her death, there were more than 20 communities of Sisters of Charity conducting free schools, orphanages, boarding schools, and hospitals in the states of Pennsylvania, New York, Ohio, Delaware, Massachusetts, Virginia, Missouri, and Louisiana, and in the District of Columbia. I never experienced so keenly the presence of this beloved Lord as I have since I have been ill. It is as if I were seeing the good Jesus, Him, and His Holy Mother here, continually seated at my side, under a visible form, to console me, cheer me, and encourage me throughout all the hours of my long and painful suffering. Mother Elizabeth Ann Seton is known as the founder of the Catholic school system in the United States. This is her legacy. Bishop Carroll's vision was to create free schools that catered to Catholic and Protestant children alike. Bishop Carroll wanted to break down the barriers between the two faiths. Mother Seton's charitable works in orphanages, free schools, charitable works among the poor, did exactly that. It broke down those barriers. By 1830, the Sisters of Charity of St. Joseph were operating schools and orphanages as far west as New Orleans, and it established the first hospital west of the Mississippi in St. Louis. It had been part of Mother Seton's original plan to join the Daughters of Charity of St. Vincent de Paul. But there was a lack of communication during the Napoleonic Wars because of the revolution that prevented this. In 1850, her community, still based in Emmitsburg, merged with the Daughters of Charity and became the first American branch as their founder's mother, Seton, had desired. Currently, there are six separate religious foundations which trace their roots to the Sisters of Charity in Emmitsburg. And they are in New York City, Cincinnati, Ohio, Halifax, Nova Scotia, Convent Station, New Jersey, and Greensburg, Pennsylvania. Now, in 1882, James Cardinal Gibbons, who was the Archbishop of Baltimore, was celebrating Mass, and many of the Sisters of Charity were in in attendance. And he stopped his homily and he said, I have been inspired this morning to begin the cause of Mother Seton's canonization. So the Archdiocese of Baltimore undertook extensive studies of Elizabeth Seton's life and writings before the cause uh, for her sainthood could be introduced to the Holy See. And at that time, there were two miracles required for beatification. The first miracle occurred to Sister Gertrude Korzendorfer. She was a daughter of Charity sister. She was living in New Orleans, and she was in her 80s. And she was suffering from pancreatic cancer and she was only weeks from death. Mother Seton's intercession was sought, and soon Sister Gertrude was miraculously healed. This occurred in 1930. The second miracle occurred to little four year old Anne Teresa O'Neill of Baltimore. She was stricken with leukemia, which at that time was incurable, and Mother Seton's was, assistance was sought, and little Anne was discharged from St. Agnes Hospital in Baltimore. Unexplainably cured. This miracle occurred in 1957. Mother Elizabeth Ann Seton was declared venerable in December of 1959 by Pope Pius XII, and quickly after that, these two miracles were accepted, and Mother Seton was beatified on March 17, 1963, by Pope John XXIII. Now, the cause for canonization required one uh, for yeah, required one miracle. And that occurred to Carl Kalin, who was an elderly man who was also comatose. He suffered from a rare form of encephalitis due to meningitis, and he was visited by Sisters of Charity from New York who asked prayers for Mother Seton on his behalf. They placed a relic of Mother Seton on Kalin in in his bed as they prayed, and suddenly Kalin awoke and upon examination by doctors was pronounced miraculously healed. This occurred in 1963. So Mother Elizabeth Ann Seton was canonized and proclaimed a saint in Rome on September 14, 1975, by Pope Paul VI. It was the international year of the woman and the beginning of the bicentennial of American independence. Pope Paul VI had this to say, Rejoice! We say to the great nation of the United States of America, Rejoice for your glorious daughter. Be proud of her and know how to preserve her fruitful heritage. In Emmitsburg, Maryland, there is a national shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. And you can tour it and learn all about her life and her life history in that building. There's also the Basilica Church of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton on the same campus. And here's the interior of this very, very beautiful church. The, The buildings that she established when she first brought her mission to Emmitsburg are still there and can be toured. Uh, the stone house is there you see the the fireplace over which they cooked in those days and her desk is there uh, the, the desk and the chairs that she used uh, when she administered uh, her mission from that location her grave is in the cemetery and the graves of her two daughters Anna Maria and Rebecca are nearby and the cemetery has the graves of many other sisters who came after them the uh, there must be 300 graves at least in that particular cemetery. In New York City, there's another shrine to St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, and it's the, one of the houses that she lived in in lower Manhattan in those early days before she went to, uh, to Italy. And it's right next to um, Our Lady of the Rosary Church. And this is the interior of Our Lady of the Rosary Church. And here you see a better view uh, of how it's right in the center of the city, and how those two buildings have been preserved, but they're totally surrounded by skyscrapers today. So Elizabeth Ann Bailey was born on August 28, 1774, in New York City. She entered the Catholic Church on the 14th of March, 1805. She founded the Society of Charity of St. Joseph in 1809 in Emmitsburg, Maryland, and she died January fourth, eighteen 1821. She was beatified December 18, 1959. Pope Pius XII, and she was canonized the first American-born saint, not the first American saint. That would be Mother Cabrini, first American citizen. But she, but but uh, uh, Elizabeth Ann Seton was the first American-born saint, and she uh, was canonized on September 14, 1975, by Pope Paul VI. Saint Elizabeth Ann Seton, pray for us. Let us close in prayer in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Peace be with you. Thanks for listening.